So Palm Sunday, um, you know, we, we love Palm Sunday. We love the kids and the palm branches, and some of you kids were rocking that branch today. Thank you for that. And uh, I didn't see any lightsaber duels, but uh, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's later. Palm Sunday is, um, is wonderful. It launches us into Holy Week, uh, but I don't know. I, I think sometimes we're a little too familiar with Palm Sunday. We, we've, we've just sort of diluted it and dumbed it down to all glory, laud, and honor when there's so much more to it. It is that. It is celebration as Jesus enters Jerusalem and there are palms being waved and cloaks being thrown down in front of Jesus on the colt. And there are children you know, shouting and people shouting Hosanna. And, and there is that celebration aspect. It is a fantastic uh, reminder of Jesus's kingdom coming to bless everyone. But there's so much more to it, and I don't want us to miss it. So um, in light of the fact that I think most of us are fairly familiar with the first few verses of Mark chapter 11, the actual triumphal entry, I'm going to pick up on the next day. So the triumphal entry happened, you know, the day of the week was a Sunday, Jesus goes into the city, into Jerusalem, goes into the temple precinct, looks around, and there's like, you know, okay, he takes a, he gets a survey of the situation out of the city. And, uh, and they go back to Mary and Martha and Lazarus's house, and that's where they're, they're, they're staying. And then, you know, it's Passover week. And so it's now Monday, and Jesus and the disciples are making the commute back into Jerusalem. Let's stand in honor of God's word. I'm going to Pick up in verse 12. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it. And were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when the evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, it's now Tuesday, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. You, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Let me pray for us. Lord, we, uh, we pause and think about the triumphal entry, and uh, it is full of celebration, but it's also uh, full of warning, full of admonishment, uh, full of some curious things. And uh, we pray that you would show us more of your glory uh, as a result, that we would take to heart uh, the coming of your kingdom, that we would prepare our hearts, that we would repent, that we would believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In your name we pray. Amen.
Please be seated. Um, okay, so if, if, if you're new to the church or new to the Bible, uh, that's probably a different picture of Jesus than perhaps you were expecting. If you have been around the church and the Bible's familiar to you, maybe that's a, a, a picture of Jesus that you needed to be reminded of. Um, that, you know, we, we call it the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, palm branches and Hosanna and cloaks and all that, and it's, it's wonderful. But there's another entry, a second entry, Monday morning, not Sunday. And this second entry, maybe we should call the apocalyptic entry, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's strange. It's different. Um, I love how Eugene Peterson describes it. He says that this revelation of God to us in Jesus is a fact so large and full of energy and our capacities to love and hope are so atrophied that we need help to hear the words in their power, to see the images in their energy. We need help to see Jesus more clearly. We need help to understand the significance of the triumphal entry, the apocalyptic entry, right? So let's jump in again in verse 12 where, you know, it's Monday and there's something very human about this description of Jesus. They're all making their commute, you know, into Jerusalem, into town uh, for Monday. And Jesus is hungry. And he sees, you know, in the distance, it looks like a fig tree. There's leaves on that tree. I wonder, you know, yeah, I'm going to check it out, see if there's any figs. Catch a quick fig breakfast, you know, um, on his way into the city. And Jesus comes up and comes up to the fig tree, and sadly, this tree kind of has some false promise going on. Uh, there's no, you know, you're on this fig tree. It's sort of like, um, you know, you're running late, you ever slept, or the kids, you know, didn't get their bus, you had to take them to school, and so you didn't get a chance to get breakfast, you're on your way to wherever you're going, Bible study or work or something, and you, all right, I don't normally do this, but time for McDonald's. You know, I got to get me a biscuit. And you pull into McDonald's and you're just waiting behind everybody else, you know, in line. Of course, it's taking longer than it should. And you get to the thing and the intercom and you're like, hey, can I have a biscuit, please? And they say, like, what? So we're out of biscuits. Sorry. What do you mean you're out of biscuits? It's McDonald's and it's Monday morning. This is like Biscuitville. This is, this is crazy talk. How can you be out of biscuits? Well, you know, that's the promise that didn't, didn't get fulfilled. Jesus seems upset about missing breakfast. And he curses the fig tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. This feels a little out of character for Jesus. Imagine the McDonald's line and, you know, you're, you're there and you hear the person in front of you, the car in front of you at the drive-thru and the, you know, poor person, minimum wage person on the other end of the intercom saying, I'm sorry, we're out of biscuits. You know, nobody showed up to bake the biscuits or whatever the thing is, but there's no biscuits. And you hear the driver of that car say, may nobody ever eat biscuits from you again. Get that, that person's got some low blood sugar or something's wrong. So, can you imagine that? Like, like, so now, now I want you to see how Mark doubles down on the bizarre nature of this, this episode because he then tells us that it was not the season for figs. 
Jesus curses the fig tree, and it, but it's dinner. It's evening, and you're there ordering a biscuit, and the person on the other end of the intercom now doesn't say, I'm sorry, we're out of biscuits. The person says, are you crazy? It's dinner. It's not breakfast anymore. It's not the season for biscuits. You know, you kind of go, all right, something's weird about this whole episode with the fig tree. Is Jesus just hangry? You know, is he just kind of, you know, getting a little bit short-tempered and he just needs, uh, maybe he needs some fig newtons. If any of you, I don't want this happening here. I don't want any weirdness from any of you. So we bought a bunch of fig newtons. You can help yourself in the foyer, little, little late breakfast or early lunch. I don't know. It just seemed appropriate. So help yourself. I don't, I mean, this is one of those bizarre natures, uh, bizarre episodes where people kind of want to gloss over it. Like, oh, I don't know what to do with that. So I'll just keep reading. And we don't know what to do with Jesus cursing the fig tree. But um, I think we get some help from a guy named Don Carson, brilliant scholar, uh, an author that uh, I appreciate. He says that the cursing of the fig tree is really not so far out of character for Jesus as some would have us believe. The same Jesus exercised demons so that 2,000 pigs were drowned, right? Um, you can look that up in Mark chapter 8. And he drove the animals and the money changers out of the temple precincts with a whip, you know, went all Indiana Jones on them. And who, the same Jesus who says not a little about the torments of hell, he said more about hell than he did about heaven. I mean, if this Jesus is bizarre to you, then maybe, maybe you don't know him as well as you think you do. And before you jump to conclusions about hangry Jesus or low blood sugar Jesus, there's very real purpose and intentionality behind what he's doing. He's showing and telling a parable. He's not losing his cool. He is demonstrating in a calculated way Israel's apostasy and unfaithfulness. And he's doing it in a way that people know what he's telling us because they've heard it before. They heard it from Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 8, when the prophet is warning God's people against their apostasy and their unfaithfulness, and he says, when I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. Jesus puts that parable in his own, or that, uh, that warning, that admonition, in his own words through a parable. And he tells us in Luke 13, and a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and have found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And the vine dresser answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. And then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then cut it down. So why does Jesus tell that parable? Because God's people immediately, God's coming. When, but his patience has a point. It has an end. There's a day coming when the whole world's going to be held accountable for bearing fruit or not bearing fruit. For, for, for being alive and, and connected to, to the vine, the source of life, who is Jesus, and, and bearing spiritual fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all the ways that we're supposed to love each other and supposed to 
be image bearers of the God who is himself love and joy and peace, or not doing that, bearing, bearing the, the, the fruit of sin and so on. So this is an admonition. This is sober talk, right? These, these, are, these are healthy warnings for us, a lot more bluntly than Jesus ever did. He said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The ax is already at the root of the tree. It's a healthy warning. The problem is that Israel had all of the, the religious show. I mean, they're in Jerusalem. They're in the temple precincts, right? I mean, this is an enormous temple. It's beautiful. And people come from, you know, countries from afar to admire Herod's temple. And the disciples even had a little episode with Jesus, like, look at the beautiful stones. And oh my goodness, this is wonderful. And Jesus warns them, you know what? The day is coming when not a single one of these stones is going to be stacked on another. It's all going to be raised to the ground, and that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. God is patiently warning his people against unfruitfulness, against a lack of, of genuine faith. They had leaves, but no fruit. They had the show, you know, but no substance. They had the temple and the sacrifices, but they... They didn't have the, the connection with God's presence at that, at that temple. They didn't have what the temple represented. They had all the sacrifices, you know, the, the money changers and the temple, you know, pigeons and animals being sold for sacrifice for Passover, all the sacrifices, but they didn't have the forgiveness that the sacrifices represented. Why? Because they didn't have the faith to connect it. So you've got you know, trees without fruit, and, and then we're going to switch to temples without foreigners. And there's a connection here. This is what the theologians like to call a Markan sandwich. You know, you got the fig tree, temple, and then fig tree. So let's, let's jump to the temple in verse 15. They come back to Jerusalem. This is now, you know, um, the, after Monday, after they've passed the fig tree. And he enters the temple and begins to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He's... He's just creating this chaos, overturning the tables and the chairs and the pigeons are flying everywhere and coins are flying everywhere. And Jesus has got his bullwhip out and, um, and, and, he's, and it looks like he's kind of like having a conniption, but he's actually proving, Jesus quoting Isaiah and again Jeremiah by saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. You've made it a den of robbers. The problem isn't that they were selling pigeons and changing money. That, that's not what's got Jesus upset. Oh, you shouldn't do that in the, in the court of the Gentiles. No, it was actually okay, because this is Passover, and people are traveling long distances, and they need to buy their animals. They need to purchase sacrificial animals so that they can keep Passover. It's important for them to be able to do that. What's upsetting Jesus is that the religious leadership are using that necessary thing as an excuse to keep the foreigners away. They were using a good thing for an evil purpose, which was to keep the nations from coming into God's presence. It was what the court of the Gentiles was designed for, was to welcome the nations, all people from every tribe and tongue and language, to come into and enjoy God's presence and God's forgiveness. But they had set everything up in such a way that it was hindering the, the, the people, the non-Jewish people from coming. So they were trying to exclude those who weren't culturally like them, who weren't ethnically like them, who weren't ethically like them. 
and they were fine with setting up shop as long as it kept everybody else at bay. So listen to the echo that Jesus is, is, is saying from Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 7, this is again the prophet um, saying that he got the word of the Lord and God said, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there his word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah and who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Amend your ways and deeds and I will let you dwell in this place. It's a message of admonition, correction. And then, Later on, a couple of verses later in Jeremiah 7, has this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. So people are seeing Jesus turn over these tables. They're hearing him quoting Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they're going, oh, it's happening. What Isaiah was warning us about, what Jeremiah was warning us about, it's happening. Jesus, just like Jeremiah before him, is standing in the gate of the Lord's house and declaring God's word that God could... And he was uh, a visual parable in the, the temple itself. So it's just another visual temple, uh, a visual parable in the temple. And I want you to compare that experience, what Jesus is correcting and what he's angry about, rightfully so, uh, and he's showing them how wrong that is and that God sees. And he wants you to compare that with a different version of Palm Sunday, one that we read about later on in the New Testament, actually all the way in Revelation. You know, How's that for a, an apocalyptic entry? Is in Revelation chapter 7 where the apostle John looks and behold a great multitude that no one could count uh, from, uh, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, and they're standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. That's the Palm Sunday that God envisions. And they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so Jesus is upset that the religious leaders have created this, this environment in the temple where the nations could not come, they could not wave their palms, and they could not express and, and, and celebrate that salvation belongs to the Lord. And so that's what he's upset about. What, what word do we take away from this? Is this somebody else's mail? Or do we need to hear Jesus Warning us. Who might we be excluding from this place to experience God's presence, to know his forgiveness? Well, nobody. We're not, that's not us. We don't exclude anybody, right? Maybe not actively, no. But do we need to be a little more thoughtful and a little more reflective about who passively may not feel welcome here? This is like this invisible barrier. No, we want everybody to come in. Come on, you know. Well, ask yourself: Would anybody from my work feel unwelcome here, and why? Like, it's, it's, out, it's, it's April outreach, and we're encouraging everybody, you know, Easter's coming, and 
Invite people. Invite your friends. Invite your coworkers. Invite family members. Invite, you know, your enemies. I don't care. Invite people to, to come and experience the presence of God and know the salvation that is in Jesus and, and bring them here. Is there anybody at work that you're going, no, I, don't, I couldn't ask them to come? No. Well, why? Is it something we can amend? What about people on your team at school? Or maybe people, you know, who, who are in your neighborhood? Can you invite them? And if not, why not? Family members, friends, would any of them feel unwelcome coming in here? Would any of them feel like there's a barrier that, no, this isn't, I can't, I can't be here? It's inevitably going to happen. The gospel, the gospel be offensive. That, that's inevitably going to happen. The gospel says that God saves sinners. That means we are sinners. We need grace. And people bow up at that. They don't like that. And, and, you know, that's just the offense of the gospel. But what we don't want to do is be offensive with the things that we shouldn't be offending others. We should be serving them. And, and you know, I'm thinking of things like, well, what's our, what's our culture here? Is, it, is there anything here that we're doing that's offensive to other people? Just culturally. Is there anything we're doing here that's offensive to other people politically? Is there anything that's offensive to other people that we're doing with our, our words, our language, our dress, our music, you know, all these things that, where we kind of have to be a little more outward thinking, a little more other-oriented in order to help them feel welcome so that the nations can feel like that, that we can know God's presence, we can know about His forgiveness. So, you know, look around and ask yourself who from our community is, you know, is here. And I think it's great that we've got a great mix of, of ages, of incomes, of education. Like, we've got a good mix here. But I think if we ask ourselves, well, who's not here, we might come up with things like, well, there's not many people of color. Uh, there's not many, like, Singles, uh, young singles. Uh, you know, so, so those are some areas where we can be honest and go, okay, well, do they not feel welcome? Is there a way that we can be more hospitable? Is there a way that we can be more intentional? Is there, are there barriers we need to be thinking about removing, right? So one of the things that we're doing for, for April Outreach uh, is at the end of April Outreach, every, every year we do a picnic. We're, we're tweaking the picnic this year. In the past, we've done, you know, we've done the picking at a park, but this year we're also inviting the families from Monona Elementary who we've been trying to get to know through Christmas stuff and you know, taking lunch to their staff and all these things. So come to our April Outreach Picnic on the 24th and come with a purpose. Come intentionally seeking to meet new people from a, a part of town that you know, probably you don't hang out in much. We have kids that need love and have parents that need friendships and, you know, and just, we're just going to treat them like people. They're not, you know, you don't have to do anything like that. They're not a project, but they're people that we want to love and we want to welcome. Um, in addition, we've gone and know the forgiveness and the salvation that's ours in Christ. And if you are thinking about somebody and you go, no, I can't invite them, then you have to ask why. Let's talk about the why. Let's, let's do our business and, and figure that out and do that in faithfulness to God. So that's the temple, this, this temple, you know, that they didn't want foreigners in, but God says, no, in fact, I do want all the nations to come and to celebrate my salvation, and the church should reflect that as well. 
Um, but we want to come back, as the, as the Mark sandwich works out, we want to come back to that fig tree. So back in verse 20, it's now Tuesday morning, and they see the fig tree wither away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. And look at Jesus' reply in verse 22. What, what, what do you think Jesus should say in reply to Peter at that point? Look, look, Rabbi, the, the fig tree you withered, you know, or you cursed is withered. Instead, Jesus says, have faith in God. It's like, did you hear Peter at all? He doesn't address the withered fig tree, it, it would seem. He doesn't address the withered fig tree. Instead, Jesus goes on to talk about what does faith look like? Like moving this mountain, you know, and prayer and forgiving, you know, people who ha you have anything against them so that your Father who is also in heaven may forgive your trespasses. So Jesus is talking about the nature of faith. And it doesn't seem like it's connected to the fig tree, but it actually is because the fig tree represents God's people. The temple is this place where people enjoy God's presence and learn about his forgiveness. And Jesus is telling them, this is what genuine faith looks like. It has fruit. Genuine faith bears fruit. And if you don't have fruit, you don't have faith. And we can't kid ourselves that you can have one without the other. So what does genuine faith look like? To have faith in God means that you have a posture of welcome to the world, no matter what they look like. God has that posture. Don't just be to us. He wasn't just happy that we came. He went on a mission to seek and save the lost. He came and sought and saved us, and brought us in. And that's what we're called to do as his people, to welcome the world, but really pursue the world. And faith also looks like forgiving everyone, no matter what they've done. They've done coming everybody, no matter you know, what they look like, and forgiving everyone, no matter what they've done. Forgive the way that you've been forgiven. Look at, look at your passage and look again at verse 25. Verse 25, you know, ends, and then what's the next verse in your passage in Mark 11? It's verse 27, right? What happened to verse 26? Verse 26 is missing in your Bibles. There should be an asterisk and a little footnote. Look at the footnote. And it says, Some manuscripts add verse 26, but if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your trespasses. And you think, oh, well, uh, that, that's one of those rare manuscript things, and I, that's not my mail. I don't, I don't, need, to, I don't need to forgive others. I don't, that's, that's speculative. Well, it's not, <laughs> because that very same verse is in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. So yeah, okay, maybe verse 26 isn't in the, the majority of the manuscripts, but the tr that, that sentiment, that statement is still in the New Testament elsewhere. Meaning that forgiveness is free based on what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Forgiveness is free. But we have to pay it forward. We, we, we pass it on. We, we receive that God's forgiveness and we pass it on to others. Now, I, mean, I want to be careful. We are, the fruit of faith means that you forgive that the relation, but that doesn't mean necessarily that the relationship will look the same afterward. Some people have done horrible things 
very well should look different. I mean, that's more than this sermon can cover right now. You can talk to me or your shepherding elder afterward if you've got questions about that. But look, Jesus is coming in with this apocalyptic entry. It's not just triumphant. It's disruptive. It's radical. It's shifting everything around. And what he's addressing is this fruitless faith of Israel. That they, they're not bearing fruit. They've got all the show. They've got all the leaves. They've got all the show and none of the substance. They don't have fruit. And ultimately, what they've rejected is not just simply, you know, the nations can't come in. They're not just getting the sacrifices wrong. They are rejecting the temple itself. And for Jesus to say, you know, just pray and God will make this mountain go into the sea. Like some people, the idea that that's some sign or some miracle, you know, of moving a literal mountain. Well, well, where is Jesus when he's saying this? They're in the temple. They're, They're in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built on a mountain, on Mount Zion. And what Jesus is saying is that whole order, that whole show with no substance is coming to an end. It's going to be thrown into the sea and replaced with the kingdom of God. You know, the, the, the guilt of, you know, the leadership and, you know, this whole corrupt system was not simply in keeping the nations away or getting the sacrifices messed up or, you know, this, that, or the other. Ultimately, what they had done was they had rejected the fundamental way that God had come to be with us the most important representation of his presence. A couple of chapters later in Mark, we read how some stood up and bore false witness against Jesus, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. The son of the blessed. And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man coming and seated at the right hand of power, coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. They rejected the temple, the true temple, the true place of forgiveness. They didn't understand what he had come to do. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he forgave our sins. He was the ultimate Passover sacrifice. And if we don't understand that, then it's like our understanding of grace is similar to this, uh, this weird dominion energy check that I got in the mail a couple of weeks ago. You get a, you get a check from a, a, a company in the mail and you start, think, you start seeing dollar signs, right? You're like, oh, windfall. This is awesome open up the envelope, dominion, energy, refund, check, cool, a dollar eighty. <laughs> they sent me a check for a dollar eighty. The postage was, you know, a quarter, three, uh, a third of the whole check value. So this didn't, obviously didn't mean a whole lot to me, but I thought, well, I'm not going to cash this. It's just going to make a great sermon. My dollar eighty sermon illustration to explain that if we don't really understand to us and taking our nature of God's grace to us in Jesus, the true presence of God coming to us and taking our sins away, and grace is going to feel cheap to us. It's not going to feel very worthwhile. We're not, we're, if we don't know that we're forgiven much, we're not going to forgive much of other people's sins. 
We're not going to understand the presence of God coming to be among us. Jesus is the access to God. We have to put our faith in him in order to have God's blessing, to have his forgiveness. And the apocalyptic entry of Jesus on this you know, Palm Sunday is God's surprise in store for us. Where he's, he's not you know, getting rid of the Gentiles, those godless people. He came to the Testament example of God's people as a warning against being spiritually fruitless. Our, our warning. We need this warning. This is an apocalyptic entry to us. And he doesn't, doesn't clear the temple of the Gentiles. He clears out the money changers to make room for the Gentiles, to bless the nations. And that's our calling as well. And he tells them they can move mountains, not, not as some people think, oh, well, that's just you know, signs and wonders. Oh, that's just God removing all the obstacles in your way to your best life now. No, this is a whole new kingdom coming where by faith we become a part of it. And he's telling them to forgive others with the admonition that, look, your willingness to extend grace to another or your lack of willingness to extend that grace, that's a barometer. That's an, that's an indicator. That's a diagnostic tool for how you are doing in relationship with God. This is apocalyptic. This is a warning. This is an intervention. This is God graciously coming to us and saying, are you going to enter more fully into this whole spirit that we've been doing during Lent, a spirit of repentance, a spirit of trying to own our stuff and drawing near to the one who forgives us and loves us? He's not rubbing our nose in it. He's inviting us to take inventory and to enjoy more of his grace and to experience more of his love through the gospel. Jesus is teaching us how to repent of Others the, way, others the way that God welcomes us. He's teaching us to repent of not forgiving others the way God forgives us. And as we are in the final stretch this last week of Lent, as we're preparing for Easter, this is a way to grow in repentance and faith. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your help, your assistance to do what's hard and unpopular. It's not not, it doesn't give us warm fuzzies to think about what we need to repent of and who we might be passively or, or even actively excluding. Uh, Lord, instead, I pray that you would just help us to humble ourselves and to take stock as, as we pray we would, as we, we pray for, for a faith that has, has substance, has, that bears fruit. Lord, we want to glorify you. We want to be a blessing to our community. We want to do good to one another. So we pray you would help us toward that end. So you would grant us ongoing repentance and faith and renewal uh, to bring who came in to changes, to bring about godly changes, to bring about more of what we pray one day uh, we would see in all of its fullness of the nations gathering around your throne, all of us together celebrating how salvation comes from you. In your name we pray.